Oh, my sweet Bertha Faye. What words could I ever possibly say to keep you here in these loving arms forever? Bertha Hey everybody and welcome to Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network presents Marking Out the Days. I'm part of the hosting squad, Kobe Nida, and as always, I am joined here with kicking out at two's representative, Dave Rosenbluth. Dave, what's going on, buddy? What's up, man? Long time no speak. How's it going? <laughs> it's going good. Got some snow, got some ice around here again. Uh, we're not yep. done with winter Same yet. Here. How's it going over there? Up your way. Yeah, yeah, Connecticut, we got a little dusting and then some ice. I was out shoveling pretty much chunks of ice this morning while I was scraping off the cars in the driveway so my wife can uh, my wife can get to work. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's w- winter is certainly uh, kicking out at two right now, so to speak. <laughs> uh, total pun intended there. Um, we, haven't, we haven't made the three count on the winter yet, but uh, hopefully soon. Because uh, even though this has been a very uneventful winter, at least for, for us in Connecticut in this northeast area, um, I'm, I'm a warmer weather kind of guy, so I, I, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, being able to not bundle up as much when I have to go out in public. I hear that. I hear that. It uh, makes everything more comfortable, and as it gets warmer and hot, you know, uh, wrestling events get a little more exciting. I, I feel like this is a downtime in wrestling, even though we're on the road to WrestleMania. Sometimes it kind of uh, around the winter months, it gets a little, gets a little lonely. Yeah, yeah, I could see, I could see, I could see, you know, I could see that being the case. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, in recent, in in more recent years, I would probably hold that, you know, hold that statement to be very true. Um, In years past, um, I think, especially like you said, being that we're on the road to WrestleMania, um, the buildups have been a lot better. Um, than we've seen in recent years, but um, you know, not to not to get too off the beaten path, uh, you know, at least when it comes to the current day WWE product, and I don't like to bash it in any way. But I mean, um, some of these some of these uh, Monday Night Raws have not felt like you know WrestleMania, you know, March to WrestleMania type you know gatherings mm-hmm. um, each and every Monday night. It just feels like another episode of Raw with everyone pointing at the fucking WrestleMania sign. If that's the case, I could do that. Kind of just going with the motions, huh? Yeah, 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 pretty much, yeah. yeah. But you know, we're, we're, we we like to talk about the good, um, and 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 mark out a, a, about you know the 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 history of professional wrestling on the particular date. And today is February the twenty first. Yes, indeed. So you know, let's get into what we need to get into when it comes to February the twenty first in professional wrestling history. Yeah, February twenty fourth date. Uh, sorry, another. I'm I'm just getting my first cup of coffee, so. Bear with me, everybody. We are <laughs> we are live early, uh, February twenty first, the morning of. This is the first day we've done the marking out the days recording on the actual day. Um, 
but yeah, February 21st. Before we get started, though, Dave, you want to let everybody know what's going on at Kicking Out at 2 and uh, everything that's happening this week and next week? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As the mayor of Kicking Out at 2, we are, uh, we're in full WrestleMania season mode. As this week, we just dropped our Trading Places series episode covering In Your House Final Four from February 16th, 1997. I lay out all the what-if scenarios as to, you know... You know, who, what, when, where, and why. Um, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the Trading Places series, I'm kicking out it too. I basically take an event um, that, you know, uh, is underrated in some ways. It doesn't get talked about enough. And I take the results from those events and I flip the results. And I try to realistically map out the trajectory and the path, you know, for those characters in the particular storylines and where they could go in a realistic fashion based on what the landscape of the 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 atmosphere and the climate in the WWF or in any other organization was at that time. So um, in 1997, you have the final four match. Bret Hart won the title, but what if he didn't win the title? And what if Vader walked away with the championship? What's his path? Where does he go realistically in 1997? Same thing for the Undertaker. Same thing for Stone Cold Steve Austin. I go down that whole card and I flip the results and I try to realistically map out their trajectory moving forward and I try to do it in a way where there's no fantasy booking because I'm not a big fantasy booker I'll participate in it from time to time I've been guilty of it but with kicking out it too I like to realistically you know create the path for these individuals and all the what ifs the woulda coulda shivas Mm -hmm. so um you know Check it out over on the the archives, uh, facebook.com forward slash kicking out it too. The link's up there. All kinds of great content up there as well. Hit the like button if you have not already. If you have hit the like button, tell a friend to hit the like button. Be a part of all the fun that we got going on over there. Same thing for our Twitter. The link's up on Twitter. If you have a Twitter, give us a follow. Our handle is at kicking out two, K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T and the number two. And next week, we continue with the WrestleMania season uh discussion as my good buddy daniel garcia joins me new father by the way congratulations just uh baby was born just yesterday uh yesterday morning congratulations my friend um donnie's gonna donnie's gonna sit down and join me take a break from fatherhood just for a brief moment and we're going to bring you the my favorite series and pretty much the my favorite series i'm kicking out at two is um whether it's a favorite match favorite storyline a favorite show Whatever the case is, we talk about it, we discuss it, and then we have a watch party or a watch along or whatever you want to call it. So Donnie and I are going to sit down. We're going to discuss Daniel Bryan's march to WrestleMania 30, the Yes Movement and Yeslemania. Uh, we're going to discuss the early days of the Yes Movement and how, how Daniel Bryan got to WrestleMania. And then we're going to watch his two WrestleMania matches from that year in 2014, the opening bout with Triple H and then the main event against Randy Orton and Batista for the World Heavyweight title in a triple threat match. It's the last Mania I attended. It's Don, it's one of Donnie's favorite WrestleMania matches and WrestleMania moments. So we're going to have that, you know, that that perspective of being there live as well as watching it at home. It's going to be a lot of fun. So tune in next week for my favorites Daniel Bryan's March to WrestleMania 30. And that's what's going on over at Kicking Out It Too. What's uh what's going on in the in, in your neck of the woods there, Kobe Mania? Awesome stuff, uh, Dave. Retrosexual, uh, Mister. <laughs> I, I can't do a good Pat 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 Patterson. 
Um, but yeah, maybe he'll make an appearance on this episode. Over on Retro, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> over on Retromania, we got uh, Gaijin Wrestling Radio. I'm gonna be dropping Match of the Month for February, and a little detail about the future of Gaijin Wrestling Radio. I realized watching a lot of New Japan Wrestling, um, the shows that they have building up the Road Twos, a lot of repetitive matches, and it, it just gets. I listened to the episode that I did, um, and it just it's it's the same thing over and over. So I want to cover the yeah. actual important matches that happen. Not to say that they're not all important, but the ones that really grab my attention. Um, something like Wrestle Kingdom 13. There was a good amount of cards from there. The actual road to New Beginning, the actual event, uh, the New Beginning in Sapporo, had a title change. Um, and then some other good matches on that card as well. So those things are brought up on Gaijin Wrestling Radio, as well as the match of the month for there, and as well as we're going to have Hulkamania is Dead returning. Get ready, because we're on the road to WrestleMania. So WrestleMania 7, a lot of moving parts. Ric Flair just won the Royal Rumble and won the title. Sting did not lose that title in a match, uh, being pinned, though. You know, it was a lot of stuff going on. We fantasy book over on our uh, show, Hulkmania is Dead, but we have a lot of fun with it. Like you said, Dave, to to your, to to contrast of what you like about fantasy booking, we do the complete opposite as far as, like, going ridiculous and trying to make it fun, but also, you know, having some type of uh, logic behind some of the stuff and an explanation as well. So yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's it. it like I said, I, I don't like to knock it. Okay, it's and I don't want you know people to, to 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 feel like oh well you know he doesn't have fun and you know I like the fantasy book and what the fuck you know. No. But I mean, for me, like I mean, everyone's done it. It's it's fun to have those discussions, but at the same time, like you know, doing research, you know, before I launched my own podcast, I've listened to a lot of others, and a lot of guys just like to go out there and do it, get carried away with it, and oh, yeah. get to the point where it becomes, you know, it almost becomes like, you know, like when people talk about politics on social media, you know, people get personal when it comes to that shit. It's like, it's fantasy booking. It's supposed to be fun. Shut the fuck up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. um, that, um, that's that's why it's just kind of turned off a little bit for me. But I've listened to a few episodes of Hulkamania is Dead, and I, I love the the detail-oriented um, aspect of it with you and Jimmy and, you know, your thoughts and how the whole thing is thought out. I mean, I... I don't. As I get older, I don't have much patience for just about anything. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if I would be able to have patience to to construct things in that manner. But I, I hats off to you, my friend. You, you guys do a great job. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Every episode is about an hour, and we try to give you a little t uh, story about the year or that uh, event heading to it. And we've booked uh, basically like a WrestleMania, a Royal Rumble, Survivor Series, and SummerSlam. We throw them together. So if you guys want to start. With us from the top, you can. Uh, we're getting to the end of the road. We're going to book it until 1993. The WWF without Hulk Hogan. What would happen if he never became the main star that he would in uh, WWF? We all know that that's impossible, but this is, again, a fantasy world here. Alternate storyline. It's a fun time. Um, we also have our first season that is actually chronologically uh, following the origin of attitude, which is the seeds that were sown to build everything to launch Austin and McMahon in this attitude era. There were a lot of stuff, a lot of moving parts going on before then, and Jimmy and I covered that in detail and great lengths on our first season, origin of attitude and all that. And Dave's 
podcast kicking out at two. All that archive information will be on our new Retromania Podcast Network. That's right. Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network at Podbean will have the entire archive of our old shows. And plenty more yeah, in the I'm future. I'm looking forward to that, man. Yeah. I'm looking I'm looking forward to that, being a part of that. It's gonna be a lot of fun. And you know what, uh, not to cut you off, man, but if anybody out there listening has a wrestling podcast and you want to be a part of the family, um, you know, shoot us a shoot us a, a DM and uh, you know, send us a link to what you got. We'd love to hear what you got and would love to have you contribute. Uh, we we want to create a very positive, fun community of wrestling podcasts and atmosphere that, you know, wrestling fans can go to and have a buffet, if you will, of of, of of choices and options when it comes to pro wrestling podcasts from the past, the present, um, independent organizations, you name it. We want to have a big variety of what wrestling podcasts are on this network. And, and so by all means, shoot us a DM over at Retromania or a kicking out at two and let us know. Is there any is, do you want to be a part of the family? Do you want to be a part of the fun? You know, give it. You know, we'll, we'll see what you got. Yeah, we're, we're open for consideration. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, all that, you can find Facebook, or you can find Retromania on Facebook at Retromania with a W. You can find us on Twitter at Retromania Pod, or you can always write to us, like Dave said, at RetromaniaPodcast at gmail.com, and we'll get back to you. Um, so, yeah, Dave, you ready to do February 21st? Yes, I am. Let's do it. <laughs> all right, let's, let's go down for the birthdays. Start chronologically. The first birthday that we have here is... Dos Caras. Dos Caras, born 1951. You familiar with him at all? Uh, only familiar with him because his, I believe, um, is it his nephew or his son? His son. Uh, his son, Alberto Del Rio. Yes, indeed. Um, in WWE. That's, that's my only um, familiarity when it comes to Dos Caras. Yep. Um, he is also the brother of Mil Marscas. Um, that's right. Yes, yes. Yeah, the, the name Dos Caras means two faces, and he was a avant luchador in the 70s and 80s, wrestled CMLL, AAA, UWA, you name it. Um, and yeah, like you said, he was the fa- he's the father of Alberto Del Rio, and l- lately, his last appearance in 2007, he appeared alongside his brother, Mil Mascaras, in the movie Mil Mascaras vs. the Aztec Mummy. Now I want to see that real bad. They had a movie on Mil Mascaras. Was this? Was this it says Mexican? Yeah, it's Mil Mascaras versus okay. the Aztec Mummy. So I'm pretty sure it's like one of those old timey, <laughs> uh, you know. But this is 2007. You know those old movies where they would put like Abbott and Costello against the Mummy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm thinking yeah, something of that. For uh, okay, yeah. could be a fun watch. Could be really bad stuff. Yeah, yeah, probably. Probably the latter. I'll, I'll, I'll let you explore that <laughs> avenue. I won't. <laughs> you can, you, let me know how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> but happy birthday to Dos Caras. Um, the next birthday here. Feliz, no, no, no. Let me, let me, let me correct you. Feliz cumpleaños. Ah. If we're going to, if we're, you know, that, that, that means happy birthday in Spanish. I know a little Spanish. I worked in the restaurant business. So, I, you know, I know, I know kitchen Spanish. I know all the bad words. There you, you know, go. Cabron and maricon and all that other shit. But, you know, <laughs> feliz cumpleaños dos caras. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, and the next birthday, Rhonda Singh, born February 21st, 1961. 
Uh, the birth of Faye. Exactly. Otherwise known as birth I of Faye. I love you. <laughs> Memories of her, Dave? Um, the fact that they paired her up with Harvey Whippleman um, as a kid. Um, you know, Harvey Whippleman was not someone that, you know, most wrestling fans liked as a character. But, you know, at 36 years old now, looking back on it, I wish they kind of ran with it more. Yeah. With, with you know, with, with her and, and little little puny, wimpy Harvey, you know, Whippleman. Like, that that would have been some great comedic stuff in, in, in today's, you know, landscape of wrestling. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Uh, memorable for her stuff in Canada uh, early days and then most known as Bertha Faye in the WWF and then later in WCW she she would show up and wrestle Medusa again in WCW um yeah she was the WWF women's champion as well so that's right SummerSlam 1995 she defeated Alundra Blaze or Medusa or whatever you want to call it yes um yeah I, re- I remember that that was that's the only Bertha Faye match in the WWF I'm familiar with now in WCW didn't they call her by her real name Rhonda Singh because mm-hmm. they because they couldn't use the Birth of Fate trademark, obviously. It was a WWF-licensed uh, intellectual property. Yes, correct. But, yeah, that's that, that, that's my only um, my only uh, real true memories of her. She wasn't at least around enough during my time um, to, to have any more memories of her. And they didn't really use her a whole lot in WCW either. But then again, they didn't use Medusa a lot either. No, so. yeah. And I think she was more predominant in the 80s, uh, like Stampede yeah. Wrestling. Um, she's, okay. um, she is from that area. So yeah, she's a Canadian. Um, so yeah, probably popular more up in stampede territory during the eighties and gotcha. early nineties. But yeah, gotcha. happy, you, man. happy birthday, Smart as a whip, Rhonda dude. Singh. Happy birthday, Rhonda Singh. Birth of <laughs> All right. You know what? You, you, Maybe maybe you can clip the the Birth of Faith theme song into this. show. Oh, maybe I'll just uh, start with that one. We've already yeah, maybe, already no pressure over it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, no pressure, but you know, yeah. just 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 an idea to throw out there. You know, a little post production. Thank you, thank you. Um, moving on with the day, we have the death days. People who have died this day. Ladies and gentlemen, the first one is Luther Lindsay. Now I had to polish up myself on this. Luther Lindsay is actually an American professional wrestler who was a former football player. Like we've talked about before, football players moved to wrestling. Um, He wrestled in the NWA, All Japan Pro Wrestling, and Stampede Wrestling. He was trained by no other than Stu Hart. This man was six foot four, 235 pounds, in the 50s, a big black man, becoming one of the first African-American major stars in wrestling in Pacific Northwest and the Mid-Atlantic Territory, um, going against acts like Nick Bockwinkle, Pepper Gomez, Mad Dog Bashan, Iron Mike DiBiase, um, Pat Patterson as well, and uh, Tough Tony Bourne. So he, he, he very, um, very respectable guy. Uh, Luthez gives him a lot of respect. Um, they battled each other here and there, um, and he was, he was the... the U.S. Colored's Negro heavyweight champion. So a different time then, but um, definitely one of the one of the frontier wrestlers for um, for African American athletes in the United States as well as in wrestling in a whole. 
Yeah, I've I've heard the name before. Not too familiar with them, but um, yeah, like you said, very different time. Uh, you know, now nowadays, I, I know you were reading off the description of you know his his accomplishments and his background, but nowadays you would you know you'd be shunned if you said you know use the use the phrase colored and and, and negro because it's, yes. you know in the society that we live in. But I mean, at that time, that was what it was referred to as you know, and and you're only and you're only reading off the accomplishments. You know, you this isn't you know. Um, an opinion piece, mm-hmm. so to speak, you know. But uh, yeah, I just find it. I just find the the, the, the vocabulary and the wording um, somewhat fascinating between the times. You know what I mean? Sometimes when you read off some of this stuff and the things that 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 you're reading off, it's it it just kind of like strikes a chord with me a little bit. It's like, wow, they used those words back then. Like now, you you know, now obviously you can't use that kind of stuff in oh, yeah. today's world. So yeah. it's it just something that struck me a little even, bit, but you know, continue. No, even going back and watching some old wrestling, you know, <laughs> I get uncomfortable, or or it just it just rings true to that time. It puts a it puts a magnifying glass on that uh, that little bit of society in our American culture about that time. Um, watching WCCW, even just having uh, Tony Atlas be called Black Superman, just the way that they said it. it That's was crazy. Like, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, you want to hear something interesting? It's it's, it's a, it definitely is a, a sign of, of the times. Um, I found an old picture um, online recently. As a and I'll put it up on the Retro Mania, or maybe I won't. I don't know. I'll let you decide, Cope. But um, there's a picture of uh, you know uh, you remember the old After magazines where they would have like um, pictures in black and white of the guys, and there'd be like a little quote underneath their pictures. Yes. Um, okay, so there was a quote from Ric Flair. And I don't know if this was him playing a character or if this was real, but this was back in, you know, the, the early 80s, so to speak. And um, he said something about, um, uh, you know, uh, sending Ivan Putsky back to Polakville and, uh, and and like Tony Atlas back to Africa or something back on a boat where they came from. I'll have to find it, man. It's it, I'll send it to you if you want to put it up there. But yeah. I was just like shocked and amazed at what. You know, and what I was reading here, I mean, I can't imagine that he was, you know, considering all the individuals that Flair has worked with over the years, that if that was the real, true, you know, thoughts of Ric Flair, or if he was just playing a character at that time in the in the, in society. Yeah. But I just found it to be rather, when he said Pollock, Phil, I was like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I couldn't, I didn't know what to make of it, but uh, There's... yeah, I'll send it to you and you can, you can use it up to your discretion whether you want to post it on the page or not. Certainly will. There's, um, there's stuff with Stan Hansen in the uh, All-Stars Wrestling that I watched from today's date, actually. Uh, we'll get into it when we get there, but yeah, he says some stuff. Um, all right, moving on with the death day. Uh, again, Luther Lindsay. Uh, look him up. Try to look up some matches if you want. He is one of the graduates of the Hart Dungeon, the earliest, actually. And Stu Hart held a picture of him in his wallet, supposedly, until the day he died. Wow. Yeah, so must have meant a lot to him. Um, all right, the, the next one here, this is the one that we can shit all over, Dave. Bruiser Bedlam. He died on this day, 2017. He was a Canadian wrestler as well. Hey, never heard. Maybe of that's him. our theme. Um, he wrestled in the late 80s. He had a couple matches in Smoky Mountain, WWF, New Japan. Uh, more or less a jobber or an enhancement talent. Um, debuted in 1984. 
and had some matches with um, Macho Man, uh, you know, like uh, just enhancement stuff. Yeah, yeah. But later, this guy, he was a member of the Satan's Choice biker gang, convicted of assault, trafficking cocaine, bombing a police station, and now he's in jail for first-degree murder. Sweet. Oh, we got an upstanding citizen. Great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Bruiser Someone Bedlam. you want to bring home to mom. Yeah. Bruiser Bedlam? Yes, Bruiser Bedlam. Oh, Ian William Cotori. That explains it. So I, don't, I think that tells the whole story right there. The end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's yeah. get into this actual day here. Let's do it uh, February 21st. The earliest notable thing that I have here is from a Madison Square Garden show, WWWF, February 22nd, 1972. Pedro Morales is the champion at the time, pinning Professor Turo Tanaka in a match. Um, Dave, the only ring reason I bring this up, of course, Pedro Morales passed away last week. Um, and what a what a time to you know put on the microscope of the years. And we're looking at uh, 70s. We have a more or less Puerto Rican descent heavyweight champion um, in the WWF WWWF ranks, um, following Bruno San Martino's long lengthy run. Well, they, they kind of went with the formula of the um, of, of of trying to tap into you know the 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 ethnicity of um, the fan base, yep. uh, being that they were a very you know northeast territory at that time, uh, running you know parts of Pennsylvania um, all the way up to Maine, um, you know especially in the New York area, there's a there's a large Latino population. Um, they say that in the Northeast, that you know, uh, especially in Connecticut, that uh, you know they have the in the top five of the largest Latino populations in our country. Wow. Um, Texas and California rounding out the probably the top two, um, but I know that like Connecticut was like number seven at one point. It's probably grown, and I know New, I think New York's in the top three. But anyhow, with Pedro Morales being a you know of Puerto Rican descent. Um, they really used that formula they used with Bruno with the Italian-American community and tapped into that with the Latin-American community in the New York area with Pedro as the champion. And, and many regard Pedro Morales as the trailblazer for a lot of the Latino wrestlers um, in, in the United States and, and really blazing the path along with you know the, the greats like Gory Guerrero, um, but it's at least in the Northeast area and in the World Wrestling, the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, Pedro Morales was the first Latino um, wrestler to really make a mark and make a splash. And if it weren't for him, you wouldn't see guys like Eddie Guerrero, um, you know, really uh, have a run at the top with the title. Uh, which, by the way, the anniversary of him winning the championship was just last week. Yep. You know, we hope. Uh, but anyhow, um, yeah, I mean, Pedro, as the WWF champion, um, I, I wasn't obviously born yet um, during this during this time period, but when Pedro had passed last week, uh, uh, my father had uh, uh, was on the Kicking Out of Two Facebook page, and he, he, my father wasn't a big wrestling fan, but when he was younger, he watched it a little bit. And he'd go to shows in the garden because he lived in New York. And he he went and saw um, Pedro defeat Black Jack Mulligan wow. um, as the WWWF champion in the garden. Wow. Um, and I remember my, and then later this week I saw my father and he we were talking about it a little bit. And 
he just remembers um, the, the the large Latino audience that was in attendance and for Bruno and he said that it felt like or no I'm sorry for Pedro and he said it felt like you know the the, the popularity was on par with Bruno's popularity oh definitely um, with the Italian with the Italian American community so you know Vince McMahon senior um, was very smart to tap into the the and, and play the ethnic card, so to speak, when it came to his champions, because he had an audience for for almost everyone. Yes, he did. Um, That's um, originally yeah. why Hogan's last name is Hogan because it was a more Irish background. Um, yeah. Yes, exactly. He wanted an Irish. He wanted to tap into the Irish um, audience, and with Hogan, he actually hit the jackpot because he just tapped into everyone. Yeah, because he forgot, became, dude, yeah. that basically everybody's fucking Irish. <laughs> we all like to drink and have a good time <laughs> let me tell you something brother do i look like i eat fucking lucky charms dude uh, yeah if, if hogan were to have just latched on to that irish culture <laughs> oh my god me yeah, python your prayers eat yeah. your vitamins and fucking tighten up your leader hoses yeah. eat your taters yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you something, brother. I've been hanging and banging for 40 days and 40 nights with my corned beef, brother, dude. Uh, good stuff. All right. Drinking the Guinness Stouts like it's going out of style, man. <laughs> Reaching the mountaintop over the rainbow in the pot of gold, dude. And I talked to St. Patrick, brother, and he said you're not getting in, dude. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he said, not until you have your lucky charms, brother. <laughs> then there's entry into the pearly gates of Irishville, dude. Oh, man. We can have a lot of... The tangents we yeah. go on. Jesus the Christ. The Dutch destroyer. <laughs> no, oh, man. We did the Dutch destroyer before. That was the Dutch oven one. Um, we need the oh, we shit. need the Irish Hogan here. But yeah. yeah. All right, let's move on. Speaking of Hogan, All-Stars Wrestling... February 22nd, 1981. Sergeant Slaughter is still having that Cobra Clutch challenge around this time for $5,000. He easily beats a dude, and then he challenges Pat Patterson. He says, you're chicken. You're a chicken. Everybody's, like, calling uh, Pat Patterson Gomer Pyle at the time, and it's getting real. No, but I like to choke the chicken. (laughs) And Pat says he's not ready yet. He says, I'll do it, but I'm not ready yet. They even offer him an additional $5,000, $10,000 total. Pat says, Vince, I'm not interested right now. I'll get back to it later. So we'll see. But eventually those guys, we know that there's a feud that's a brewing. Um, Maybe if you bribe bribe me with a (laughs) blowjob, then maybe I'll I'll do it. But, you know, for the most part, I'm I'm, I'm not ready. I'm not, no. no, Yeah. I'll chuck the chicken, but later. Uh, Pat Patterson plays a uh, a good role throughout these All Star Wrestling episodes as the uh, the link between wrestling and commentating and telling the stories and kind of building tension with the yeah. heels as well. Um, he he talks to one Stan Hansen here about tension between the Blassie camp since Hulk Hogan has returned to become a member of Freddie Blassie's camp. Stan Hansen rants and raves. And this is what we were talking about earlier. He talks about the Italians. The Polacks, the colors. <laughs> he doesn't care if you're, and he, he oh says, he says, I don't even care if you're what. And he stops. He goes, I'm from Texas, and we ain't like nothing else, and we're tough. <laughs> uh, so wow. I guess he's 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 declaring Texas is a 
entirely different race from everybody else, and uh, he's going to beat up everybody. And he mentions breaking Bruno's neck, and he wouldn't mind doing that again. Hey, that was 1976 when he did that, and uh, he got hired back by good old Vince on uh, good terms right here, but uh, we'll see how that goes. So, yeah, that's some stuff there. And uh, one other note, there's a, there's a match that's going on. SD the Barber Jones does a swinging Neckbreaker. I'm sorry, I called him SD the Barber Jones because that's what he is on Hulkamania is Dead. SD Jones does a swinging neckbreaker, and Vince says, SD certainly decided to move there. Now that's some fucking commentating, huh? Thank you, Vince. <laughs> he did decide to move. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What a time in 1981, huh? Just a little pinpoint of this heel stable with you know, Hogan being involved and all these guys moving towards the title and uh, Bob Backlund holding on to that title right now. Yeah. All right, uh, let's go on to WCCW. This is going to get interesting because in the coming weeks, uh, Mike Von Erich has just returned into the ring on TV. Um, The last year, he came off that toxic shock syndrome from a infection due to a shoulder surgery that went bad um, and nearly died. And it's a miracle that he's even walking, let alone wrestling right now. And it's not very good. Um, but his death will be coming up in a couple weeks. So he is wrestling on this WCCW show. Just wanted to note that there. Um, tough times for the wrestling business right here around 87 because the national expansion, as we know, there were a lot of moving parts to compete with Vince McMahon and the WWF. Um, but as we know, they came out the victor. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll tell you, man, you know, watching some of the Von Erich documentaries that I've seen before or the world-class documentaries, I should say, um, I watched the Heroes of World Class. I believe it was a High Spots production. And then the one that WWE put out, which is on the WWE Network. Man, you you can't but feel sorry for, you know, what that family went through. And to me, I take what I look back and take from that uh, was the last remaining Von Erich on this earth currently, Kevin Von Erich, and how he's still, you know, functioning. Um, to, to, to lose all your brothers in such, you know, tragic fashion. Um, I can't even, I I can't even describe how I would lose one of my brothers, you know, how I feel losing one of my brothers. I have three brothers, let alone, you know, all of them. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Like, and it's a testament to the strength that he has as an individual to be able to keep going on, on this earth. Um, you know, because, losing all your family in such tragic fashion, you know, with heart attacks and, and, and suicides and, you know, ill, you know, severe illnesses, man, it's, I can't even, I, I, my hat's off to Kevin Von Erich and, you know, and, and, and who he is as a human being. Holy cow, man. Yeah. That's just, that, to me, that's what I take from all of that. When you bring up, you know, the, the, the tragedy <laughs> that is the, um, the Von Erich family. Yeah, definitely. And there was a lot of other stuff. Um, there was a lot more tragedy surrounding not just their family, everybody else in that business who kind of came in, in touch or contact with those people that they interacted with in a way fell or circame to some type of tragedy. 
Um, well, Gino Hernandez is another name too that was very uh, instrumental in you know uh, the success of World Class. Um, yep. If you, you want it, you want you like wrestling history, man. I mean, we talk about it all oh, yeah. the time. You go, you go on. Um, Sir uh, Bruce Pritchard, something to wrestle. They did a podcast on Bruce's time in Houston wrestling mm-hmm. and working for Paul Bosch. And you want to hear some stories, man, about like. Gino Hernandez um, and, and his time in Houston wrestling. You go take take a listen to that. Oh yeah, um, because it yeah it's been it's been regarded that uh, Gino um, was rumored to be the biological son of uh, Paul Bosch. Yeah, there's a lot of rumors got, surrounding that. Yeah, yeah, but the stories too and uh, about who Gino was as a person mm-hmm. and leading up to his death. Um, for those of you out there that that really like the the history of wrestling and you too, Cope, you check out um, the Houston wrestling episode of Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. It's probably one of my favorite episodes, and I've never watched Houston wrestling before. But the stories and and Bruce's time in there is just absolutely fascinating, yeah. and especially talking about Gino Hernandez, um, another sad story, an individual who had so much promise. In the wrestling business. Well, there was talks um, of him being the next Ric Flair or the guy who could yeah. have been Ric Flair instead. Um, yeah. yeah. Imagine if he was a part of the national expansion for the WWF when oh, yeah. they were, you know, just great leading stuff. into the rock and wrestling it, era. I mean, I'll recommend yeah. this. Unbelievable. I'll recommend this to you too as well. Um, the Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast. I know we're recommending other podcasts, but I like, you know, the knowledge and sharing the wealth. The Lapsed Fan yeah, is doing absolutely, a, a run right now of. WCCW and they're taking it from the 70s until late 80s and they've chronologically done every year and it's just a lot of great information I've learned a lot like you said Gino Hernandez uh, paranoid near the end a lot of drug addiction going on and uh, possibly uh, even murdered so uh, yeah there's a lot of stuff that happened around this time 87 was a was a crazy year just thinking of it Um, besides the fact that I was born but you know um, yeah. So, uh, let's take another look at this year, 1987. It's WCW sanctioned by the NWA. And last week I flubbed and called Ivan Koloff Vladimir. I got confused. I got my Russians mixed up. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the Russians are going to be in the Crockett cup and they're talking about the Crockett cup is going to be $1 million on the line. Holy shit. That's right, baby. One million dollars. Me and the night man, Nikita Koloff. We're going we, we gonna to win that Crockett Cup, baby. We're going to split that one million dollars, and then we're going to we gonna spend it on a filibuster, if yeah. you will. And last year, the Road Warriors won that Crockett Cup. Um, and again, like I said, Crockett Cup's coming up 2019. I can't wait to see. I doubt that's going to be a million dollars, shoot, or worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But in this episode, they 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 cover um, Ronnie Garvin getting a fireball thrown in his eye by Jim Cornette. Hey, wait, Jim Cornette's throwing a fireball and he's bullshitting on you know he's shitting on everybody else's wrestling. Hold on a second, that sounds weird. Jim Cornette using a yeah, fireball. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a that's that's a little strange. Yes, that's a he rags strange on a bunch there. of shit, but you know he he used a fireball. But anyhow, it, it the makeup looked okay. I took a picture of Ronnie Garvin, but I didn't know that him and Jimmy Jam Garvin were related. They're billed as brothers throughout this episode, but in actuality, Jimmy Garvin is Ronnie Garvin's stepson. Really? Yes. 
See, I just thought that they just used the name similar to the Andersons. Like when, when you know, Oli and Arn are not really related. I don't think they're related to Gene Anderson. I thought that was just like a story. I didn't know that there was. So in real life, Jimmy Garvin is Ron Garvin's stepson. Yes. That's crazy. Yep. Okay. And they're billed as cool. brothers. So cool stuff that I learned there. Oli Anderson is kind of on the outs with the horsemen. He's still with them, but he's grown jealous of this new introduction here of the Luger, Lex Luger. He's an associate of the Four Horsemen. The Four Horsemen can only have four people. And I'm going to take a picture and post that on our Facebook feed, a picture of Lex Luger right underneath the uh, burned face of Ronnie Garvin. Because I just want you guys to see how big Lex looks here. And then uh, later throughout this day in history, we're going to see how Lex looks again. Okay. he. So 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 let me just get this straight because my, my memory is a little foggy here. Um, when it comes to the, the the horseman, so Luger was introduced as an associate, and that's how they got rid of Oli. It's coming up. Uh, okay. Oli is kind of see. I thought they dumped Oli, and then Luger came into the picture later. So they were teasing this for a while. Yeah, is what you're yeah. Saying. He's uh, he's okay. saying he he's good enough to be a horseman, but no. And then uh, Lex Luger shoots a promo with J.J. Dillon saying that he is the future of wrestling. If you look at his body, he is the epitome. He is the total package. Wow, he says the total package in 1987. And, uh, yeah, and and he basically is. You know, it's like it's what every wrestler was kind of modeled after, that body and everything, and then you just add some charisma or a little flair here and there. And uh, a lot of people look like Lex Luger nowadays. Um, not that big, but yeah, cut. You know what I'm saying? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's just an interesting time to have Lex here. Um, and then the tension between the horsemen and Oli being the the old dog of the crew. So, yeah, moving on, uh, let's flash forward a couple years. 1993, this day, February 21st. WCW Super Brawl 3 from Asheville, North Carolina. Excuse me. Yes, and if you notice when you when for those of you that have um, that have watched Super Brawl 3, if you have not, then you know you can find it on WWE Network when they when they show a shot of the crowd, you see a young Matt Hardy, Ooh. the pre-woken warrior sitting in the crowd um, promoting his uh, his uh, his backyard wrestling federation. Um, you can see him holding the, or the guy behind him holding up a high voltage sign. That was the character he played in his backyard fed. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> this event, I mean, we'll get into it, but probably one of the more underrated Super Brawl events mm-hmm. um, or WCW events in general in history. I thought the the overall this was a this was a, a good show. I agree, man. This is a interesting time too, 1993, when supposedly the wrestling business is kind of on the dying days. Um, Bill Watts is booking this pretty good, I'd say. Yeah, Watts was. Um this was this was the end of the Watts era. Um, this was like the tail end from uh, doing. It, it's funny that we that this came out. Where, um, you know, it happened to land on this day when we we're recording this because uh, the eighty three weeks recently uh, did a uh, a retrospective of the show with Eric Bischoff, and they talked about um, the uh, the end of Bill Watts's era, and this was like one of the last shows that he um, he he was heavily involved in. Um, some say that you know his controversial exit in WCW, um, you know, was was almost the the final nail in the coffin. That Turner was just gonna drop it all together and it would cease to exist. But um, 
you know, it, it would be it would be told later in the year that they were giving it one more shot, and Bischoff would eventually get the job as 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 the man in charge of of, of World Championship Wrestling at the time. But um, th- this was also uh, <coughs> the f- the first uh, WCW pay per view that Jim Ross didn't call because mm-hmm. he left the organization. He was demoted um, as uh, as uh, president of uh, uh, TV for for WCW. And folks, um, in a couple of weeks, be like I'll one. be at the Coliseum Palace. Yeah, <laughs> join me in about a month and a half, and I'm going to be wearing a toga. Um, I don't know what the hell I was thinking putting a toga on with some golden sandals, but uh, you know, I'll be I'll be next to a guy that uh, is pretty damn funny, and then the other guy on the left of me, he uh, he he looks pretty ridiculous, but he he's a, he 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 can go in the ring. He he brings a lot of sizzle to that steak for you. I'm talking about Macho Man Randy Savage, but uh, you know, uh, in, in a couple of weeks. Uh, in about a month or so, I'm no longer going to be employed by Turner and World Championship Wrestling. I won't be exchanging Christmas cards with Eric Bischoff because he replaced my boy Bill, Bill Watts, my hero, so changing my of the guard here almost. This is like the, um, we're getting into the Eric Bischoff era. Yeah, um, from what from what I gather heading into this event, um they had, like I said, they demoted Jr. and he was he he left not too long after that. Um, they wanted to restructure his contract, and he was going to be like a C squad announcer, and he was also taking a lot of the heat for what Bill Watts um, had said publicly. I mean, Bill Watts didn't make um, make many friends during his time in the company um, as as the boss of WCW. He pissed off a lot of executives. Um, I heard that Bill Watts. I've heard some crazy Bill Watts stories. Um, Regarding his time in WCW, he used to, you know, they have an office at the CNN Tower in Atlanta, and he used to show up wearing, you know, Harley Davidson t-shirt, cowboy boots, and Zubaz pants, and he'd bring a gun with him. Uh, yeah. um, you know, he, he, you know, he, 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 he carried. So, um, which is nothing wrong with that for those folks out there that that, that carry. This isn't a gun control debate, yeah. so don't get your don't get your shorts in a knot. But um, you know, Watts would show up, and he would treat the boardroom. In the office, like the locker room, like I've heard stories, like he used to go into like the fax, the copy in the fax machine room, and he'd have like takedown tournaments with like the interns. He would like put these young kids in headlocks who were just there trying to move in the corporate world, graduating <laughs> from college, and he's over there like, "Come here, boy," and you know, giving guys headlocks like the and glory trying to, days you know, of wrestling. Yeah, and then like you know, when it came to the locker room, like if he he would get physical with a lot of the guys if he didn't get what he wanted creatively out of them, like. He, he would get physical with these guys and treat the treat them like dirt. And he made a lot of changes to the company at that time that wasn't very well received amongst the talent. He got I've heard stories. He got rid of catering and TV tapings and pay per views. Guys used to have to go get their own food, or they would provide like bullshit bag lunches. Um, you know, he restructured so many contracts um, that like he pissed off a lot of people. Uh, Tony Schiavone has said on his podcast that. Um, he went from making um, like two and a quarter, two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars to like you know almost ninety grand oh, wow. a year. Wow! Yeah, like a huge cut. Like the only contracts he didn't cut were were like Ric Flair and Stings. Like those are the only two guys that didn't really take a significant drop in pay. But everyone else, he he restructured their deals because he was trying to fix their payroll. Um, that was his rationalization Crazy. Uh, regarding that issue. And then the the, the big moment that really, um, well, two big moments that really kind of uh, you know put a bad taste in in, in Turner's mouth was um, 
the uh, he had a he had a um, a conference room attached to his office in CNN Tower, and there was a balcony. And during the middle of a meeting with a couple of Turner bigwigs, he got up and took a piss off the balcony uh, of his office. Yeah. And then we we kind of talked. We kind of alluded to this based on uh, you know um, the the Stan Hansen comments a few moments ago that you discussed. But Bill Watts basically um, was quoted in the, in Pro Wrestling Torch um, discussing uh, his thoughts on free enterprise and if I don't want to sell fried chicken to black people, I don't have to sell fried chicken to black people. Um, you know, if you're a small business owner, you should be able to discriminate who you want to. To to uh, to to get your business wow. or to, to to give your business yeah and it got in the hands of um, Hank Aaron a famous baseball player who was a, an executive for Turner Sports wow. and basically that was like the final nail in the coffin for Bill Watts so um, that was not too long after this Super Brawl event um, I know I just kind of went on a no it's all there, good but, I but it was important it, to kinda... it's a tell of the time too uh, another thing that I I found during um during like WCCW days of Bill Watts booking back then, um, he, he would have, you know, there's Hacksaw Jim Duggan and then there's Hacksaw Buzz Sawyer, a white one and a black one. He, he separated. Really? Yes. He separated for the black fans and the white fans. That's how he thought. Um, Imagine if Vince McMahon did, you know, Irish Hulk Hogan and African American Hulk right. Hogan. Right. <laughs> Think about that for a minute yeah. there. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. All right, let's get into this one. First opening match is Brian Pillman and Steve Austin, the Hollywood Blondes, defeating Eric Watts. Hey, who whose son is that? And Marcus Bagwell in 16 minutes. I didn't mind this match. Um, everybody was shitting on Eric Watts in the crowd. I guess they knew who his daddy was. Smart crowd. Yeah, they were really into the blondes. Um, they did not have any love for Watts and Bagwell, um, and this was like the early, early, early stages of the uh, of the Hollywood blondes. Um, right before they really burst onto the scene, this was you know like the beginning of uh, Pillman and Austin's. Um, I want to say this was like their their pay per view debut as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe you might be right. But yeah, good stuff from them here. And then the next match, we get Two Cold Scorpio defeating Chris Benoit in another 17-minute match about. Um, some great stuff here from the guys back and forth. Um, just an insane move again by Two Cold Scorpio for the time of 1993 to finish off Chris Benoit. Yeah, this was a this was a fun match to watch. I will say the commentary in this match was, um, was uh, rather... Um, distracting at times Tony Schiavone was trying to be the one to really keep things on track and Jesse Ventura would just kind of go off in these random tangents yeah um or he would just like cut off Schiavone completely and you could tell and you could hear it in Schiavone's voice that he was like trying to you know he was trying to get the message across like at one point he was like are you gonna let me talk I have (laughs) no idea who these guys are Tony but actually Ventura made a comment um uh regarding uh you know Benoit. He was like, uh, he goes. Benoit is a is a graduate of the of the uh, the the the, the Stuhart basement. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just thought it was rather silly. He called it the Stuhart basement. basement. Yes. Uh, yeah. He was like, he's a basement graduate. I'm like, uh, well, what exactly is a basement graduate? And then Shivani didn't. I I, I think Shivani tried to uh, you know uh, 
add a more um, he tried to clean it up a little bit the the, the term yeah. so to speak so it didn't sound so very bush league. Yeah. Um, I, at one point, I think he even said like the Stu Hart camp or the Hart family camp or something like that. Um, didn't necessarily reference his dungeon, but yeah, Ventura was just like, "Yep, he's a graduate of the Stu Hart basement." Like, <laughs> what are you graduating from in that basement, to be exact? Uh, like, you're graduating from me not grabbing all over you. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, uh, I mean, uh, you get done, put the leg over your head. Had some Brother. Right there. Are you going to make some time sandwiches for the guys down here? Yeah, yeah. maybe. I don't know. Bitch, wake the, up. Wake up, The bitch. next match is, yeah. is my son-in-law. That's uh, Davy <laughs> Boy Smith in the next match defeating Bill Irwin. That's not oh wild goodness, Bill yeah. Irwin, is it? No, it's his son. Just Bill, Bill Irwin. Irwin. Five minutes. Davy Boy Smith, though, making an appearance here in WCW. He is just coming off being uh, fired by the WWF for that steroid scandal in late uh, November. Yes, that is right. Um, I thought it was, I mean, it wasn't a terrible way to introduce him, um, giving him a showcase match, so to speak, like an almost like an enhancement-style yeah. match um, on a pay-per-view. And then saying uh, that he's going really, for that WCW title, you know? Yeah. I thought maybe, you know, looking back on it, it would have been rather interesting um, if they paired him up with someone who had a little bit more credibility to make for a good... Um, uh, match between the two, but at the same time, his introduction it was short and sweet to the point. Got a good reaction uh, from the, uh, the the North Carolina audience, and yeah, I mean, no issues with Davy Boy. I thought it was cool that he uh, he made his debut in that way. At the same time, definitely. Uh, next match: Cactus Jack defeats Paul Orndorff. Twelve and a half minutes here in a Falls Count Anywhere match. I liked this one. Um, I did it was too. Everywhere. I liked the way it yeah, started. It was just a. It was you know a how like Bischoff was behind the curtain and he was interviewing Orndorff and then Cactus just kind of came out of nowhere. But before we get into that match, I want to get your take on what the fuck were they doing with Johnny B. Bear <sighs> as like a host? Like I get Bischoff and Missy Hyatt, but then like they put a third person there and you already got two guys on commentary. What the fuck was the point of that? Maybe they should have just had Johnny B. Bad in a match. Right. Yeah. And yeah, it's like, like you said, they're like. Maybe him and Davy Boy Smith could have had a good match, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. This was I was never really a fan of Johnny B. Bad. I was a Mark Marrow fan, yeah. but uh, uh, I for some reason some executive or somebody must have thought, oh my god, put him in front of the camera. Um, that was Dusty. <laughs> oh jeez, man, Dusty. That's right, baby. He looked like Little Richard. Everybody gonna love Johnny B. Bad, baby. He come out with the bad blaster. He spoke the, the the confetti in the air. Everybody gonna go crazy. I mean, to, That's right, to, baby. To Dusty's defense, as a kid, yeah, I did think maybe he was Little Richard's son, or he looked like him. And then you know, Dusty would Dusty could think like a kid, you know. So I guess maybe he's trying to relate to a younger yeah. audience. I guess. Yeah, the yeah, leprechaun. Yeah. Adding a leprechaun in later, <laughs> definitely trying to reach a younger audience. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this match was fun, though. Um, Cactus Jack and Paul Orndorff were just everywhere, and um, he, Paul Orndorff was trying to take out Cactus with that pile driver, which was, you know, a big, you know, big move still at the time. Um, what a, what about that sunset flip Cactus uh, 
tried to give Orndorff off the ring apron onto the on the, the exposed concrete. He totally missed Orndorff, and Orndorff had to like slouch back for to look like Cactus got yep. him got a piece of him you know, in the attempt, like just to hear the smack of the floor, Ugh. like holy cow! And and you know what was surprising too is that these are two very different um, contrasting styles. Yes. You know, Orndorff is a more technically sound wrestler, and Cactus obviously at that time was a brawler, um, and. They both worked well together. When going back and watching this match in the beginning, I was like, Cactus and Orndorff, yeah. like, this is a strange pairing. But they, it, it was a great match. I, it was a lot of fun for what it was. Agreed, agreed. Uh, I would definitely recommend um, going <laughs> going back and watching this one. It's as weird as that sounds. But, yeah, I had a lot of fun with this Cactus Jack and Paul Orndorff match from 1993. Yeah. Certainly uh, go out of your way. Super Brawl 3, uh, February 21st, 1993. Cactus Jack and uh, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Cactus's WCW run gets overlooked a lot because of all the great stuff he did with the WWF. But um, that's what made me a fan of, of Mick Foley in general was the Cactus Jack stuff. Yeah, this is just um, yeah another, yeah, like you said. Uh, moving on with the day, we have this match here on this card i'm sorry moving on with this card we have ricky and robert the rock and roll express defeating stan lane and tom pritchard uh for the smoky mountain wrestling tag team titles uh it's via dq though um but this is just an interesting time because we have smoky mountain wrestling titles in wcw as well as an nwa world heavyweight title and this is 1993, so this is like the tail end of the last territories that were surviving surviving around the eastern and southern territories of United States. We had Smoky Mountain Wrestling. The NWA was still trying to stay around, and later this year they would try to transfer their NWA title to Eastern Championship Wrestling, which would later be known as Extreme Championship Wrestling. Um, just, just very... Very cool time, I think. Yeah, certainly. Um, interesting little fact you brought this up. I did a, um, uh, a one of the early watch-alongs on kicking out at two of WCW Fall Brawl 1993. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, had, uh, I had a lot of notes for that show on what was taking place at that time behind the scenes, according to the, uh, the, the famous dirt sheets. And there was a, um, a story that came out around that time that um, Jim Cornette and Smoky Mountain Wrestling had applied to be an affiliate or a territory of the NWA and their um, their application was denied. Wow. And there's a rumor that if that application wasn't denied, then Cornette was not going to go on and have that working relationship with the WWF, which he would later have later that year um, in uh, August of 1993 yeah. uh, when, he, when he appeared on television and the bodies became a part of... Um, uh, the World Wrestling Federation. But this was interesting. This was a fun match. Anything with Cornette and the Rock and Roll Express is a lot of fun. I forgot that Stan Lane briefly had a run as a heavenly body. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, this was um, I wouldn't say baffling to me, but I was rather confused because I, I was expecting Gigolo Jimmy Del Rey as a part of the heavenly bodies. But I liked how they, even though they put Stan Lane in that role as a heavenly body, they had beautiful Bobby Eaton as a part of the, the, the presentation. Yes. Um, as like the third guy, so to yep. speak, but he was still, he, he, 
he was his own brand. You know, he wasn't a heavenly body, but his association with his with with Stan Lane from their Midnight Express days and yeah. Cornette kind of adding to that. I thought that was kind of cool, and that would have been interesting if they kind of ran with yeah. that um, in WCW. But they had a short-lived uh, run um, with, with the Heavenly Bodies in WCW at this time. But the match was a lot of fun. It was, uh, uh, like I said, typical stuff with the Rock and Roll Express opposing um, Jim Cornette and his team. Uh, I certainly had a lot of fun watching it, and I, I was looking back on it. I kind of wished if they did a little more with the Cornet and the Heavenly Bodies uh, with WCW at that time. Yeah, that would have been cool. But like you said, it's a, it's a different time right now. He's trying to get uh, Smoky Mountain Wrestling signed up with the NWA. The NWA is looking to uh, have exposure on national television. So, uh, yeah. Match number six, Dusty Rhodes defeats Max Payne yeah, for the United States championship by dq i didn't really like this one um no i didn't like it either i wasn't the biggest max Payne fan and uh i thought um i thought um his his appearance his look mm -hmm. um with the uh i don't know what you would call that singlet but he didn't really i don't know yeah. it was, he looked it looked like a it looked like a woman's bathing suit on him <laughs> Like I just I I was that's all yeah. I could think of was like an old like nineteen fifties like women's bathing suit <laughs> that like he managed to squeeze his big ass in like that's all I could picture when it came to this match and I was like what the fuck they put Dustin Rhodes with Max Payne they put Max Payne as you know the 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 U S title contender but then doing my research eighty three weeks Ron Simmons was originally scheduled to face Dustin yep. Rhodes. And Ron Simmons had a relationship with Bill Watts, and he no-showed a couple of um, TV tapings. And he was going to uh, eventually get that title from Dustin, but they had to make a switch because he no-showed a few TV tapings, and they couldn't rely on him. So, hence the reason why they put Max Payne in this role. Yeah, um, Not just a boring part of the card for me. Um, just very slow and plotting. The next one here, 25 minutes about Barry Windham defeats the Great Muda to become the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. D the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Um, I enjoyed this match. I liked Great Muda at the time. I still am a huge Muda fan. Um, and just he came out looking phenomenal. And this was like a, this was a long match that built to power moves and um, a lot of counters at the end and uh, picked up a little pace and Barry Windham pinned Great Muda. Yeah, this wasn't a bad match. Um, you, we can also forget Ric Flair's involvement um, in the match. He was mm -hmm. introduced to the live audience. I'm sorry, yes. Um, Ric Flair no, that's okay. back as well. He, yeah, Flair had a, um, a deal with the WWF at the time where um, they let him out of his contract early. Um, he could appear for WCW, but he could not wrestle. So that's why um, he had a non-wrestling role on this show. Um, they had hyped up his um, his return throughout the night a couple of times uh, with Missy Hyatt trying to get the big scoop. She was probably trying to get a big scoop of something else. <laughs> but, uh, you know, needless to say, um, <clears throat> Flair made his return and everyone was happy. It was in North Carolina. It made sense. It's Flair country. Um, and his... his his uh his appearance on commentary 
um, brought a fresh uh, a fresh perspective. Oh, yeah. Um, with, with with Ventura and Shivani, and the match was good, like you said, uh, built up to a lot of power moves, and they were also playing off the history that the two of them had um, from the, uh, the the Battle Bowl at Starcade um, in December when Muda would defeat Barry Windham in that Battle Bowl match to become the winner of the Battle Bowl and earn that uh, that, that Battle Bowl ring. Yeah, so and if I'm not mistaken, they, I, I believe Ric Flair does call Great Muda a Jap. So... That doesn't surprise me either. There we go. That doesn't surprise uh, but me. But I liked it at the end. I guess we're gonna have to put that picture on Facebook of of, of Ric Flair. <laughs> I sent it okay. to you. Or maybe I'll put it up on the. Yeah. The, I'll put it. You know, I'll 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 play the bad guy. Go. I'll put it up on the uh, retromania. Barry Wyndham wins wins and Give he's me all get, the heat. he's getting strapped with that NWA title and it's Ric Flair strapping and he notices it and turns around. Just a great little scene right there i love that and it's building the tension between rick flair and barry windham who will eventually collide yeah yeah um definitely a lot of history there from their days of members as you know horsemen together as well as their um their their great singles matches they had in the 80s so made a lot of sense yes uh last match on this card I liked this one. This is probably one of my favorite Sting matches uh, from WCW days of his like, uh, you know, mid nineties run. Uh, Big Van Vader defeats Sting in a White Castle of Fear strap match. Man, was this bloody! Yeah, man, was this fun though. It was a lot of fun, even though the 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 vignettes leading well, up to it were stupid. They made no this sense. This is a very hard hitting match. Yeah. This is a very hard-hitting match, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, these two guys have great chemistry. If you know people regard Sting and Ric Flair as probably Sting's greatest rivalry, I would I would venture to guess this is right up there mm-hmm. too. Um, the matches he had with Vader were 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 awesome, and it was the first time that I had a conscious memory um, as a fan growing up of seeing a big man of that size like a Vader move around as quickly as he could and 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 work with the smaller guys and it looked believable. It, it was it was definitely a lot of fun. Bloody, physical, the strap, the crowd was into it. Um I thoroughly enjoyed this match and it was it was, this show like I said, this show overall was very good, but you want to pick a match of the night, I'm going with Vader and uh and, and Sting right here with the the, the White Castle of Fear strap Agreed, match. agreed. I had a great time with this one. Definitely would recommend going back and watching this one if you want to. Um, all right, moving on with the day, 1994, Monday Night Raw. This episode here was not too much to see. We're gearing up for WrestleMania 10. We have Razor and the Kid teaming against the tag team champions, the Quebecers, but Shawn Michaels and Diesel come out, building tension there for the Shawn Michaels and Razor match. That'll be happening at WrestleMania 10, that ladder match. And we get an announcement that next week, Macho Man Randy Savage will face Yokozuna for the WWF title. And Randy Savage is sitting there on commentary and he's holding up three fingers. And he's like, three times, three times I'm going to be the champion and I'm going to flip WrestleMania upside down and I'm going to beat Lex and I'm going to beat Brett at WrestleMania. Wow. What a, not a bad idea, but uh, obviously we didn't go there. Yeah, uh, that would have been interesting if they had inserted Savage into the title picture. Um, something that I kind of talk about um, on an upcoming edition of uh, of Kicking Out of Two. I just recently recorded a uh, 
a, a WrestleMania 10 watch along with my good buddy Jamie Garabedian, which is going to drop on March 20th, celebrating the 25th anniversary of WrestleMania 10. Um, discussing Savage's involvement in that match as well as the the championship title picture, but yeah, that would have been uh, that would have been something interesting, yeah. uh, you know, putting him in the in the in the title mix. Um, but at the same time, you're, we're talking 1994, three good guys, three baby faces wrestling for the title. Something's got to give. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like you know, so, something something's got to give. And the, the the most easy and logical choice in that manner would be turning Luger back into a yep. heel. Um, but at the same time, they put so much money and invested so much into him being Yankee Doodle Dandy. That, uh, <laughs> they, um, that, you know, I've I don't think they would have... Uh, him referred to that as before. But. The, yeah, Yankee Doodle Dandy on the gas, man. You kidding me? Yeah, that's him right there. Well, yeah, yeah. we uh, we see him, uh, Lex, you, you speak of as they're promoting WrestleMania 10 and all the cards that'll be, or the matches that'll be happening there. And Bret Hart has a match against reappearing on this episode, Tom Pritchard. Um, and he beats him as Owen Hart comes out to distract Bret, but it only fires him up. While this match is going on, Donnie Wahlberg from New Kids on the Block who are still relevant in 1995, I guess, is on the phone with Vince McMahon, and he's talking about, yeah, you know, me and my brother, we never really, you know, we never really wrestled or fought like that, and, you know, just, he can't wait to be at WrestleMania 10, and Vince says, I can't wait to see you blasting out at WrestleMania. What's he going to be blasting out, Vince? <laughs> well, you want to know something? Yeah. I remember at that time... Um, the uh, the the Wahlberg boys were 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 a couple of bad oh, yeah. boys, um, you know, getting arrested. Uh, I think one of them like burned a cat or killed a house or burned a house and burned a cat in the house or something. I don't know. I have heard some some stories that those, especially Donnie, um, Donnie Wahlberg was a real little badass from uh, down in Massachusetts. But uh, yeah, that's um, I you know what it's a, it's it's a it's a good tool. Um, to bring a, a celebrity on and kind of add some uh, add some perspective to the brother rivalry that Brett Nolan mm-hmm. had. I didn't know they did that, so that that was that's kind of interesting. Yeah. It was just a little build up for WrestleMania ten. That was about it for that episode. Um, the next notable thing on this day, February twenty first, nineteen ninety five, ECW TV. This is the episode where Shane Douglas basically talks for forty minutes straight. Um, <laughs> and it's just a promo of him fuck? talking trash about Ric Flair, uh, the other greats, and how he changed the landscape of the territories by throwing the NWA title in the trash um, and declaring ECW extreme championship wrestling and making it is what right. it is today. And he's going to be facing Marty Jannetty for the ECW title. I'm calling bullshit on that. Yeah. I'm calling bullshit on yeah. that. I'm not the biggest Shane Douglas fan, but um, he's one of those guys that really, you know, overhypes himself. Um, I'll give him credit. He was part of a memorable moment in launching ECW, but changing the landscape of the territory system in wrestling, there was hardly a territory system when he threw the belt down. In fact, it didn't even really exist anymore. They were trying to revive it. So if anything, he 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 launched, he helped launch a, a revolutionary um, organization in ECW by doing yes. that and and but 
changing the territory system in wrestling, dude, there was no fucking territory system at that time. It was, it was, it ceased to exist. Yep. You know, any anyone that was trying to revive it, it was, it was like trying to bring it back from the yep. dead. So to say that he changed, I mean, that's just him overhyping. Yeah. But in my opinion, there's no fucking way that he changed the territory system because there was. And no. then he also tells Ric Flair to get out of the rest, the wrestling business because he's destroying it, and everybody is trying to take this uh, Philadelphia-based, Pennsylvania-based, Eastern-based company and take advantage of it. And he's not wrong uh, because WWF would definitely, certainly do that, um, as well as WCW picking off these guys. Um, But, yeah, just some stuff there from Shane Douglas as he's going to be facing Marty Jannetty for the ECW title in 1995. Yikes. Um, and if you also want to see Tommy Dreamer's cheesy ass and thighs, uh, you can watch him wrestle in what I can only consider wow. booty shorts. He's wearing fucking Great booty transition. shorts in 1995 <laughs> against Stevie Richards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it was like the loser has to wear booty shorts for the rest of their career. And that's why Stevie Richards wore them and Tommy Dreamer had to wear uh uh, pajama pants. Yeah, it's just, it's weird, but Raven's here, and uh, they're talking about Raven's time in WWF. They're not scared to mention WWF, WCW, or any other company at this time, or any history. Yeah, they were the first to do that. Yeah, they, they certainly they certainly didn't, uh, they, they didn't uh, ask for permission when it came to that sort of stuff. <laughs> yep. Um, all right, moving on with the day. Sunday Night Heat episode from 1999, February 21st. There's nothing notable except Shane McMahon is here. He gets speared by Gilberg. Uh, I want you to go back and watch Shane McMahon here and then watch him from this last WrestleMania. Uh, it's just crazy because Shane McMahon is not the same person. <laughs> well, his, his, it's, it's, his athletic ability in terms of uh, wrestling in a match has, has grown. Um, you know, in, in over the twenty years, um, we were we were shocked back then in nineteen ninety nine what he was capable of doing in the ring um, for for someone that had no experience. And look how far he's come. I wouldn't say as a character now that he's a credible um, equal to a lot of the other talents on the roster, but um, he does a lot of entertaining shit in the match that makes it look acceptable for him to be in the ring in the yeah, first from, place. Sometimes so. he, he struggles with it, but yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. It's just a, just crazy to go back and look at a snapshot from 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. All right. Moving on with this 20 years ago, that same Sunday, February 21st, 1999, super brawl nine in Oakland. California. What'd you think of this one overall? Um, <coughs> it wasn't terrible, but there was some stuff about it that I was like, I kind of scratched my head at a little bit. This was like WWF was really kind of running away with the with obviously the 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 ratings mm-hmm. and the victories. Mm-hmm. Um, they were they had much more entertaining stuff. I know that during that time period, you weren't like a huge fan of the WWF. And the attitude but like era, you said, but, they're um, they're on the road to WrestleMania. You got a lot of eyes on the product, watching Stone Cold going up against The Rock. Um, you know, yeah, yeah. But I mean, WCW wasn't exactly putting their best foot forward. It was kind of like a recycled, um, you know, 
uh, NWO storyline. I mean, you know, they had the the NWO Wolfpack, um, you know, with the B team, um, kind of taken over again. Um, Flair had kind of been the, the 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 main target for the NWO at that time. Um, they kind of shifted Goldberg off to Bam Bam Bigelow. Yeah. Um, there was there was some interesting stuff about this. This was like this was the early days of Nash beginning the yes. book. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people, you know, give Nash credit for um, becoming the booker and getting the the, the job, um, and then uh, giving Goldberg the loss at Starcade. But um, through numerous uh, amounts of research I've done on that, Nash didn't start booking until February. Right. Um, through through a number of different um, uh, people that can confirm that, including Eric Bischoff. So um, you saw some of Nash's booking in this pay-per-view with like even some of the backstage stuff and the vignettes because they didn't do a whole lot of that for WCW pay-per-views. They no. really didn't. It was a lot it was more in-ring based and you would get a couple of interviews here and there, but for the most part you didn't have the vignettes with the talents interacting with each other backstage or the video packages um, highlighting the match that's upcoming. Uh, Nash kind of Delivered some of that with his booking style at that time, especially on this pay per view. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, it was an o- it was an okay show, but there were things about it where I was just like, I, I, I was like, well, you know, they've done this before. Like, come on, give me something yeah. else. You know what I mean? Like, we've talked about this. The, I agree. It's the, like a holding the, the aftermath of the. F- yeah, like it, it's not terrible. It's not like awful, awful stuff, but. You saw some flashes of good on this show, and then you saw some stuff where it's like, "All right, man, we've seen this. Like, you know, show me a new show. Sh- show me a new trick. What can this new? What can this dog show me? You know, show me a yeah. new trick. It just wasn't. It didn't. It like I always say, it didn't do it for me, a hundred percent. But there's some decent stuff. Yeah, on let's here. let's get into um, it, and we'll highlight the decent stuff and uh, low light the yeah. terrible stuff. First match, Booker T. Hoo, 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 ha, ha, ha. Eyes, eyes, eyes. Uh, beats Disco Inferno. <laughs> Ten minutes here. Um, just a good way to start the you know the crowd off happy with Booker T getting a victory there. Um, and then Chris Jericho defeats Saturn in the next match via DQ after Saturn had worn the dress. Uh, we're coming off that feud. and Yeah, there's a mess here. But um, yeah. Then we have the Cruiserweight Championship match. Billy Kidman defeating Chavo Guerrero Jr. Um, Again, like we spoke of, you could have put a lot of other luchadors in there. And Chavo Guerrero, uh, much respect to the guy, but not my favorite luchador or cruiserweight to see in the ring. No, 1999, he was not really highlighted as a featured player in the cruiserweight division. He was kind of like Eddie Guerrero's sidekick. Mm -hmm. Um, but from what I gather, um, this was more than likely setting up, uh, the original plan was probably going to be Kidman and I'm just taking a guess what Kidman and Eddie Guerrero, um, because, um, you know, Guerrero was the leader of the LWO, but when Guerrero got in that car accident, um, they kind of had at Rey Mysterio split off the LWO and they kind of did, they got rid of that stupid story. Um, so I would imagine that this would have probably been the time frame where they would have had Guerrero and Kidman, or Eddie Guerrero, I should say, and Kidman for the title, and Chavo was the uh, the logical uh, replacement at that time for, for Makes for sense, makes sense. 
Um, okay, so moving on, we have a best two out of three falls match. WCW World Tag Team titles, the West Texas Rednecks. They're getting there, at least. They're not rednecks confirmed yet, but, I mean, they're getting a little yep. more country. Barry Windham uses a belt here, you know, one of them country belts. And uh, him and Kurt Henning pick up the victory over Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko. Yeah, um, this was not too long before this, they kicked Kurt Henning out of the NWO, mm-hmm. um, and they kind of let him do his own thing with um, with uh, Barry Windham. Uh, I was a little disappointed because I didn't really care for the team with Henning and Windham, but I really liked Henning in the NWO. I've always said that if you know when they redid this NWO, they should have trimmed a lot of fat and gotten rid of a lot of guys, except for a guy like a Kurt Henning. I could I could have seen Kurt Henning be a you know a part of that like elite group you know with with Hogan the outsider Steiner Bagwell and Luger like I really could have seen Henning a part of that instead they kind of made him like the big fish in the small pond with the NWOB team right. so to speak and so they put him um, they kept him with Wyndham and it was a solid team but I didn't really care for it um, like I said just selfishly I just I wanted to see Kurt Henning as a part of this NWO because I just remember how good he was. But it was a it was a pretty good match, if I recall. I believe um, the way that they had the tag team title tournament structured, this was like a they had to wrestle a couple of times um, on this card. One of them was like a it was like a double elimination tag team tournament, so they had to wrestle once, um, and then they had to wrestle again in the finals. Like that's the like in some weird way it like. That's it why turned they out had two that, like, matches back to back. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, yeah, that's that's the main reason why they kind of went with this, and uh, they were doing some significant stuff with uh, Benoit and Malenko as a team um, in the Horsemen, and I liked it. I thought like the, I thought the storyline wasn't bad, but I just preferred Kurt Henning in the NWO for some reason. Yeah. So that's where I stand with that. Okay. Um, next match here. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall defeat Conan and Rey Mysterio in a hair versus mask match. Um, man, they they beat down Rey Mysterio. He works for a hot tag to Conan. They beat down Conan. Then he works for a hot tag to Rey Mysterio. And eventually, uh, Scott Hall comes in and they use some trickery. And uh, Lex is out there helping as well in his FUBU gear and his get up. Um, and uh, the Wolfpack beat Conan and Rey Mysterio, and Rey Mysterio unmasks, and he looks like a handsome little baby, and Kevin Nash is saying, put it back on. Like, how are you going to fake that? Come on, man. He looks really good. You can't yeah. just say he's ugly. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that just goes to show the power of, uh, you know, management at the time. So. Yeah, it was... um. I, a couple of things. First of all, Lex Luger was originally supposed to be in this yep. match. He suffered an injury. That's why they put Scott Hall in. Um, made some sense. Okay. Secondly, um, having Elizabeth's hair on the line was rather interesting. I knew they weren't going to cut her hair. I wouldn't want her. To, I wouldn't want. I wouldn't have wanted them to cut her hair. But having the the intrigue of what if you know and putting her hair on the line was rather interesting in this story. Um, another thing I noticed too, Lex Luger wearing that all red jumpsuit. He looked like the Kool-Aid guy <laughs> has a membership at Planet Fitness. Okay. Like I, I, 
all it was just very distracting. Like he looked like he had like a, a like he picked out a set of pajamas, you know, <laughs> and, and like the top and the bottom, and he wore them out to the ring. Like I just didn't. And yeah, it just it, yeah. I don't know. It, yeah. It just it, that's that's what I got from it. Lex Luger looks like the Kool Aid guy with a gym Agreed. membership. Um, the unmasking of Rey Mysterio, I didn't like it. Yeah, same here. Um, I didn't like it as a kid. I don't like I, it now. It just made no sense. Yeah. Um, unless yeah. you were gonna have a good payoff, or he would get his retaliation, or he get his mask back, something. I don't know, anything but yeah. this. But this was the time where I didn't it was. Like it. In, W O and it was pl- that it was yeah. that song back to back to back this whole night. Um, I got tired. Oh, yeah. of it. Dun 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 dun. dun. Wolf back oh, back fucking yeah. As much as I loved yeah. it as a kid, I fucking I'm not a fan of it now. Um, yeah. Just because it, it it diminished <laughs> so many stories and characters. Um, yeah. Oh, moving yeah. on, Scott Steiner defeats DDP. Uh, WCW World Television title match. He puts him in the Steiner recliner, and DDP doesn't tap out. He just gets knocked out. He's taking a number from Raven, and uh, just turning red there. I like this match. I like the story heading into this match where um, they kind of got Kimberly involved, and it was very physical. Um, at one point, I think like. If I'm not mistaken, didn't she get like thrown out of like a moving car or something like that? Um, heading into this match, I don't remember, but um, the, yeah, I thought the physicality aspect of it was good um, between the two of them and just the the person DDP. His character thrived off of personal um, personal yeah. issues, and especially with Kimberly, you know, who was at the time was his real life wife. She was a, a valet of his. Um, the uh, the 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 animosity he had with Steiner and someone as volatile as, as Big Papa Pump at that time it made for a good story and he thrived off of of the of someone going after his wife so um, I, I I enjoyed the personal aspect of it between the two of them um, and I was kind of looking forward to seeing what they were gonna do with Paige after this and they didn't really do they kind of just like randomly turned him into a bad yeah. guy after this, um, which didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. I thought they were going to continue moving forward with him and Scott Steiner, but, um, yeah, it wasn't bad. And I liked the buildup going into this match. Um, and yeah, that's where I stand when it comes to big Papa pump and DDP. Nice. Yeah. Um, maybe I, I have DDP yoga, <laughs> so I, I, yep. So do I actually, I've never used it before, but oh, I man, I actually, uh, I recommend it. Um, but it's just interesting because he'll like, <laughs> he's got the laying down in the back is called the dead man. And then when you get up, he says, kick out. Um, so he uses a lot of <laughs> wrestling terminology in there. It's fun. And maybe that's his little like, my kink is you got to go after my wife and then I'll beat the shit out of you. <laughs> so that's the story of DDP, everybody. Uh, moving on with this day, we get N.W.O. again. Jesus Christ, it's getting a little, you know, repetitive. Scott Hall defeats Roddy Roddy Piper United States Heavyweight Championship match. This is, uh, I mean, could have been better, not the worst, but um, Roddy Piper shouldn't have been wrestling at this time. Yeah, like you said, repetitive. Um, 
this is the the probably the point in the show where I was like, all right, like I'm kind of done with the NWO. Yeah, I was now. like, how many like, matches you know, are left? Hall, yeah, Hall was out earlier. They did the spot with Mysterio taking off the mask. Now he's going to come out and beat Piper and take the U.S. title. We've seen this before. This is you know something from two three years ago. Like yep. come on, you know and. Yeah, Piper sh- Piper had no business being in the ring at that time. Yeah, not um not the best stuff here. Moving on, Goldberg defeats Bam Bam Bigelow in about twelve minutes. Like you said, they put that wall in front of Goldberg, another obstacle for him to overcome. And since being defeated that one time in the the match against Kevin Nash at Starcade nineteen ninety eight, he is on a streak again, undefeated. So yeah, yeah. Um, we've kind of talked mm-hmm. about this, um, you know, when it comes to the, the, the trajectory of Goldberg following this loss, um, I felt like it didn't make, I mean, they threw Bam Bam into the picture during the Starcade buildup, but, um, and it wasn't bad stuff. Like the physicality was good between the two of them. Um, I liked it and I enjoyed it, but I just thought that, uh, you know, Goldberg still had some unfinished business with the yeah, NWO. he got easily distracted. Know? He got wrestling distracted. And we know wrestlers yeah. and refs, anybody in the wrestling business, they get distracted very easily. Yeah, yeah. A lot of yeah, no no disrespect to those who have this, but a lot of wrestlers have ADD in storylines <laughs> and the referees included. My goodness. Yeah. Um But yeah, it was just I mean, the physical aspect of this match was good. You know, Goldberg and, and Bigelow um worked to their yeah, strengths. Especially Bigelow in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, and it was a very powerful, hard-hitting match, but I was still like, why isn't Goldberg trying to kill the NWO? They humiliated him at the Georgia mm-hmm. Dome, you know what I mean? Like, why has he still got this beef with Bigelow? And, like, I, I think I've even told you this, too. Like, I think it would have made much more sense with Ric Flair as the president of WCW to try and rally the troops against this new NWO and force Bigelow and Goldberg to be a team against the NWO, you know, and then let them have at each other or... You know, maybe Flair would interject and say, "All right, guys, you want to get, you want to have your match. Let's get this out of the way." But you know, after it's all said and done, I need you guys to 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 help me fight off this NWO. Like, I yep. just felt like there should have been a little bit more of an explanation with the two of them. You know, just shifting so quickly from the NWO over to Bam Bam. Yeah, agreed. At this point, it's like beating a dead horse with a stick. Um, yeah. I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm not gonna continue. So the main event here: Hogan and Ric Flair. Twelve minutes for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. Hogan defeats Ric Flair here. Um, this is not the worst, um, but this is like something that they were building up to. I I love Hogan's heel work at this time. I I hated it when I was a kid. I I really appreciate it now. Um, these guys. They they controlled the crowd throughout the match, but then the end we get, oh my god, Tori Wilson who it looks fan fucking tastic coming down. Yeah, yeah, I drink her bath water. That's how yeah, hot she dude, is. Like oh man, and Bobby the Brain is not you know shy about it. He's like, whoa, what a view. Oh god. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, she comes down, uh, slaps Ric Flair. No DQ happens there. But whatever, we continue wrestling, and then a masked man comes down, tases Ric Flair. Hogan picks up the victory. It was David Flair. The reveal doesn't go as smooth because Tori Wilson's head is blocking the camera. Tony kind of says, "Is that that's 
that's David Flair. He's not really reacting that strongly. And then the NWO come out. They kind of celebrate. They try to do their too sweet. And this is 1999. So they, Kevin Nash and Hulk Hogan and everybody made sure that their little wolves kissed perfectly on the on the on the lips. Um, yeah, it was just same old story of WCW stuff. Um, and they tried to have a big reveal there, and it just didn't work with the crowd. What do you think? I didn't like the David Flair thing. I really didn't. It didn't make sense yep. to me. Um, I mean, they I guess said I, because uh, Tory uh, Wilson. Let me go. Let me. Let they me go. said that's why. All right, let me go. They, they, they. Okay. So in some ways, I guess you can say like it made some kind of sense. Um, that at the time it didn't make sense to me because I was like, you just got your fucking ass handed to you by the NWO a month ago, and now you're going to join them, and it's because of a girl. Yep. Like, just a piece of ass? Like, for real? But then, you know, 36-year-old me is thinking about this, and it's like, you got your ass beat by the NWO, and you're looking for Dad's attention, and this girl is giving you more attention than Dad is, and Dad lets you get beat up by the NWO, so yep. it make, now, now it kind of makes yeah. sense, you yeah. know? Kind of. But at the time, I didn't like it. And it was just same old, same old. It's like, well, who else is going to join the NWO? Oh, hey, my sister's going to join the NWO too because, you know, Daddy Flair didn't go to her dance recital. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. just, I, I, I was, this is the point in time where I was like, I wanted WCW to be same successful, here. but it was hard to, it was hard to get behind some of the stuff that they were doing. And WWF was just, like you said, on that road to WrestleMania doing his stuff with Austin McMahon, rock involved, you know, it was they were doing some red hot yeah. stuff. So, it was hard to it was hard not to watch what they were you putting know what out. This... And it was hard to watch what WCW was putting oh, out. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And you know what this makes me think of is like this time is like <laughs> you ever like watch wrestling with somebody who doesn't really watch wrestling that much or you're at a point where you're like, "Hey, or they you're just watching it and they come in the room or something and it's it's, it's all of a before, sudden yeah. the worst shit on wrestling that could ever be. And they're like, why the fuck do you watch <laughs> this? I felt like that was that was happening over and over again with WCW. And as a kid, I was like, Jesus yeah. Christ, I'm I'm embarrassed to watch it. Um, you got to make sense of yeah. stuff. It, it becomes like TNA years later, um, like we'd see. You at least have to, you know, <laughs> you have to have some make sense of some of it. I get that it's wrestling. I'm I'm. Don't insult my t intelligence anymore. Um, I'm already watching wrestling, so yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, it just made me think because every know, time uh, it's like I'm I'm watching wrestling and someone who doesn't watch it, they they catch that one moment where it's cringy and they're like, oh shit. Well, maybe let me sh let me yeah. put on the ricochet match real quick instead. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. I'm right there with you. I've had moments like that before where. I've I've tried to you know introduce wrestling to someone and then they'll be like you know they'll watch something good but on that same you know on the, on the same show they'll find something bad and they'll you know that bad will outweigh the good I guess yeah you could say. definitely I think the good outweighed the bad on this day overall uh, Super Bowl three was a fun show for me um, I had a fun yeah. time watching that and I had a lot of fun learning about um, some of the wrestlers that I did and the history along the way. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that too. Oh, I did for sure. I always join doing this stuff with you. I learn, I learn something new every day. I uh, really, or every week, I should say. Um, you know, it's 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 a lot of fun. Like I said, didn't know that um, 
that that Ron Garvin and Jimmy Garvin were really related, and Jimmy Garvin's the stepson of Ronnie yeah. Garvin. So that's rather interesting, and it will actually it might make me want to go watch some of that older stuff with the two of them together, um, and just kind of see the interaction and like all the what if possibilities with mm-hmm. the two of them. Um, yeah, it's just very fun to take a magnifying glass and peek over that day in history, like we do here all the time. Um, catch us next week, right, Dave? Yep. Yeah. Next week, February 28th, we got, um, I, I wouldn't say we have so much memorable moments from certain events, but more or less, um, we got we got a fair amount of birthdays. Okay. Um, Norman Smiley, uh, Masato Tanaka, Ricky the Dragon mm. Steamboat um, ha- has a birthday on February 28th, as well as the birth of a hand Ooh. that was delivered oh by God. Mae Young on a February 28th <laughs> edition of Monday Night Raw. So the birth of Mae Young's hand. Um, is uh, is regarded as uh, is regarded as one of the most uh, well, it's probably one of the strangest moments in all of wrestling. So we'll discuss that. Um, I know you and I have discussed off air about uh, not really covering any uh, WCW stuff from two thousand or WWF. But, I think um, we're going to keep a barrier of twenty years for this show. Uh, keep yeah. it, you know, retrospectively for twenty years, and, and like like I've said before, we have three hundred sixty five days of the year. We will eventually come back to one of those days, as long as we keep rolling out these podcasts and marking out the days. Oh yeah, we have plenty of stuff to cover, so we'll we'll we'll, we'll cap it off at uh, at twenty at twenty. So we'll leave we'll leave raw and nitro. I guess I mean we'll have to talk about the yeah. Hand. We'll talk about the hand, of course. I mean yes, okay. Yeah. Like title changes, hand. hand births, you know, important stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, any, any, if, yeah. If someone loses a limb, I'm sure we're going to discuss it and cover it on kicking out it too. Or I'm sorry, you're on marking out the days. I mean, I'll discuss anything on kicking <laughs> out it too, you know. But uh, yeah, um, so next week's show is rather interesting. We're not so heavy on the events, but more or less on the birthdays, unless you can find some uh, some more stuff to uh, historically tap yeah. into. Um, that could that could you know really wet our palate of uh, wrestling history. But yeah, looking forward to it. And uh, you know, as I always do, as we mark out the days here um, and head towards our our big launch WrestleMania weekend. Yes, definitely uh, enjoy it, everybody. Uh, please like, rate, review. That helps us a lot. If you rate and review on iTunes, it'll help us grow. We'll be you know a bigger family here, more podcasts for you guys, and. Uh, continue to mark out the days here at Retromania. Once again, Dave, uh, thank you, and I'll catch you next week. All right, man. Take it easy, brother.